Hey, my name's Jamie Poisson, and I'm the host of Frontburner. It's the CBC's daily news podcast. And every day we're discussing the big events and fault lines shaping Canada and the world. Politics, economics, social movements, you name it. Sometimes we even talk about really fun stuff like the enduring relevance of Lord of the Rings. You can hear Frontburner on CBC Listen or wherever you get your podcasts. This is a CBC Podcast. Coming up on The Cost of Living. I was applying for $500, I think, and I got approved. And no credit check. And, like, I just failed my consumer proposal, and I'm now going to be filing bankruptcy, and I still got approved. Jolene Shadenuff is a credit risk, at least for a bank. Online, she has her pick of lenders happy to give her a loan. But the price is steep. Hi, I'm Paul Habershoot. Welcome to The Cost of Living. You can go online and borrow thousands of dollars right now. No credit check. These loans target people who need cash fast. Big interest payments also mean some borrowers can't climb out of the hole. Also today, the latest viral personal finance trend is the opposite of keeping up with the Joneses. Loud budgeting. It's telling the Joneses, and anyone else who will listen, exactly how much you're not spending. Up first, we can get stuff in more than 300 shades of green alone. Don't like pistachio? How about lily? Or lime? We live in a vibrant world full of color. So why is so much of the stuff we buy so bland? You may have heard Pantone's pick for color of the year. Peach fuzz. It's described as a comforting presence of tactility and cocooned warmth. Pantone's color guide has nearly 2,400 shades. Our world can be alive with color. Or not. Ian Kay is a car guy. He's been selling them for 15 years at an Audi dealership in Calgary. What color was the last car he sold? Black on black. (laughs) Yeah. Actually, the last two I sold are both black on black. Look on the road and you don't see many peach-colored cars. Or yellow. Or purple. What you do see... Gray, for sure. Black, white. Those are sort of the main palette. So new that we have in stock. Gray and black and white are almost equal. We have a bit more gray. 80% of new vehicles come in just four colors. Black, white, silver, and gray. I don't know if I've ever heard somebody say, oh, I really despise gray. (laughs) Black, some people don't like just because it's harder to keep clean. White, some people don't like. You know, red is a strong color. People have a pretty strong opinion about red. But the other ones, they have it. Okay, I, I don't, it's not my favorite, but I don't mind it. And it's what we have because that's what we order. It's like Henry Ford said, the customer can have any color they want as long as it's black. Sure, Henry. But nowadays, the customer is also king. We have our own individual taste and thousands of colors to choose from. 
So then, why is so much of our stuff the same color as everyone else's? It's almost like we're not in charge and someone is deciding for us. Is there a rhyme or reason to the colors we see? There is rhyme or reason. The question might be how much rhyme or how much reason. <laughs> Leslie Harrington is a color strategist and the former head of design at Benjamin Moore, the paint company. When companies are making stuff, they call people like Leslie. She calls the business of color part art and part science. And it's her job to stay on top of the color zeitgeist. We look at the runway shows. We look at the award shows, the popular movies, the streetwear. We also look at how did it do in the past and what other colors have been moving forward and how fast they've been moving forward to know if this one will potentially be one of those ones that will follow along with it. So is she like the Wizard of Oz? Pulling levers behind the curtain? Making sure our homes are filled with yellow brick gold and wicked witch green? Well, we don't dictate trends. We don't make color trends. We don't make colors successful. The consumer does. And the way that happens is they buy it. So we have to make a shirt in a color and put it in the store for somebody to buy it. We have to figure out what color do they want that shirt. So we're going to make a green one, a yellow one, a red one, and a purple one. And we put them on the shelf and we wait and we see which color people buy. So we can say that green is trending. And if we find out that people are buying the green more than the red or the purple, then we know that we're kind of on the right track. Figuring out what color will work for a product isn't straightforward. Different product categories move on their own timelines. Fashion, furniture, beauty, electronics, autos, appliances, they can all be doing their own thing. And then there's us. We might gamble on a pair of lime green pants when it comes to bigger ticket items, we don't take as many chances. We tend to buy the things for our home less often. When we invest in them, we tend to be much more cautious. And since we're, let's say, risk adverse, we're going to buy something that's more neutral than really colorful. So in other words, the color I would buy in nail polish versus in my blouse and my sofa you know, I might buy red in all of those things, but I might not buy red in my sofa. So as buyers, we like to play it safe. And so do sellers. Back to all those gray cars on the road? An auto manufacturer can paint cars every shade under the rainbow. But when it gets down the line to who's ordering the car to sit on the lot when you go to visit the dealer, the dealer's making that decision. So even though the manufacturer might be putting colors in the lineup, the dealer is being risk adverse and he's buying gray, silver and black and putting it on his lot. And he might buy one of the funky blue, greens, reds as what we sometimes call the um, pink purse. So it catches your attention. You don't necessarily buy it, but it gets you in the door. That same logic applies to other big purchases. Remember what kitchens looked like in the 70s? Avocado green fridges, harvest gold stoves, they were the colors of childhood for a generation. And when those kids grew up, they were like, nope. The result? Decades of appliances in black, white, and stainless steel. Big retailers didn't want to stock a bunch of baby blue stoves and see them collect dust. 
the financial risk there is real. Good color leads to sales. Bad color leads to inventory. <laughs> If you make something in a bad color, you can't even give it away. It just will sit there on the shelf, and you have to, you know, recycle it or do something with it. But you just can't get rid of it if it's a bad color. So, it can make make the difference between making millions of dollars and losing millions of dollars. Bad color decisions can be expensive. Back when Marks was still Marks Work Warehouse, its founder Mark Bloom made a big bet on Sun Ice ski gear. It put millions of dollars worth of fluorescent ski jackets onto the floor. That was the year skiers decided fluorescent was over. Mark's work warehouse took a bath. Companies need to keep their finger on the pulse of consumer taste, and if we don't buy it, we stop seeing it. But that doesn't mean we're always in the driver's seat of the color bus. What you don't know is that that sweater is not just blue. It's not. Turquoise. It's not lapis. It's actually cerulean. And you're also blithely unaware of the fact that in 2002, Oscar de la Renta did a collection of cerulean gowns. Anyone in the color game knows that scene from *The Devil Wears Prada*. Meryl Streep explaining why Anne Hathaway's sweater is cerulean blue. And it's sort of comical how you think that you've made a choice that exempts you from the fashion industry when, in fact, You're wearing a sweater that was selected for you by the people in this room. Leslie says we do get colors pushed onto us, but then we pull them into the world, and we do that by buying them. This is the messy back and forth of color marketing. You know, it's just not that cliche look of a lady with a big floppy hat that says, "Oh, today I think I like peach." You know, and then everything magically shows up in peach, right? <laughs> you know, there's a lot of thinking and strategy that goes into making these color decisions, marketing these colors to the world, and then monitoring it to see、um, are they really working? And if they're not, what should be the the thing that replaces it? There are those that think they can dictate the market by coming out with different marketing programs, like Color of the Year and stuff like that. And then other people will say, "Well, that's just BS, you know, because I can put it out in the world, but if nobody buys it, then it doesn't make any difference." They can't make you buy a sweater the color of peach fuzz, but you may see a few more on sale. So if you do find yourself wrapped in a comforting peach cocoon, don't be surprised. Hello, I'm Jess Milton. For 15 years, I produced the Vinyl Cafe with the late great Stuart McLean. Every week, more than two million people tuned in to hear funny, fictional, feel-good stories about Dave and his family. We're excited to welcome you back to the warm and welcoming world of the Vinyl Cafe with our new podcast, Backstage at the Vinyl Cafe. Each week, we'll share two hilarious stories by Stuart, and for the first time ever, I'll tell you what it was like behind the scenes. Subscribe for free wherever you get your podcasts. On your radio and by podcast, this is the cost of living. I'm Paul Habershoot. Who says the kids don't know the value of a dollar? The latest personal finance trend to go viral is loud budgeting. It's like the fiscally prudent cousin of girl math, quiet quitting, and lazy girl jobs.
And as our producer Ellis Cho finds, the idea goes deeper than just a hashtag. Loud budgeting is a new concept I'm introducing for 2024. It's the opposite of quiet luxury. But if you a few weeks ago, Lucas Battle started talking about loud budgeting on TikTok. Since then, hashtag loud budgeting has had more than 10 million views. It's not I don't have enough. It's I don't want to spend. Okay, put that dollar in your pocket. Choose a stock that's going to rock it. Kinda just sounds like saving, right? The difference is that with loud budgeting, you're openly talking about your financial decisions. You're not going out for drinks tonight because you're saving. And this resonates with a lot of Gen Zs and Millennials, like Melanie Trottier. I love it. I think that again, speaking about our finances and what we value, it, it's like this practice and like even personal development of really owning who you are and what you value. She posts what she spends every month on social media, everything from rent and groceries to clothes and coffee. And when she's asked to do something she can't afford, I'll definitely be open and honest with them and just let them know that it's not in the budget this month, and. Everyone has responded well to it. Melanie started posting her budget to help her manage her own finances, and she hopes that by talking about it openly, it helps others. <sighs> Tracking it, I get a lot of fulfillment just knowing exactly where I am, how much money is coming in, how much money is going out, so that I can be really aware. And then sharing it, I really enjoy when people, you know, validate me and say thank you for sharing this, and you know, destigmatizing talking about money. Talking about money is still kind of taboo. Most of us don't talk about our salaries or what we blow our hard-earned money on. Loud budgeting turns that on its head. Yeah, no, I, I like that. I applaud that. I, I think it's about time. Janet Gray is a financial planner with Money Coaches Canada. She says there's a lot of pressure on young people to spend beyond their means. Loud budgeting can make it easier to say no. I like the fact that people are kind of taking back that power and saying, you know, I'm going to spend it loudly the way I want to do it to get to the ends that I want to achieve. But being too open about your finances, especially on social media, can come with risks. Jane Arnett is with Checkpoint Software, a cybersecurity company. She says she likes the idea of loud budgeting, but worries that people may be putting too much out there. Where we have to be a little more careful is when we start saying what we are saving up for or what we. What we are doing, because it creates an opportunity for a bad actor to、um, use that information either for a really targeted、um, spear phishing attempt to steal your information, to steal your money, to steal your identity,、um, or just to harass you. Let's say you're saving up for a house. You could be targeted with ads promising low mortgage rates, which are actually phishing attempts. So. When it comes to sharing, Jane has this advice: Keep it vague. Melanie Trottier says she's pretty careful about what she posts online, and when it comes to loud budgeting, the pros outweigh the cons. 
I think a lot of people can relate to not feeling very good about their finances in our current economy and situation. So I think it helps to kind of see someone else go through highs and lows and to recognize that it's all a, a learning journey. For The Cost of Living, I'm Ellis Cho. Canadians have racked up a ton of debt. And we talk about this all the time. And Jen Keane, we know it's this huge economic risk facing the country. Yeah, we are borrowing a lot right now. We have mortgages, car loans, credit cards. And then there is that other kind of debt, you know, the kind of borrowing you don't want to do unless you absolutely have to, the loans of last resort. Jolene Chateauneuf knows all about this. She has two little kids. She doesn't have a job right now. So when she is short on the rent... I just, I just Google um, installment loans, no credit check, no um, bank verification, and there's just there's hundreds. Like, it's super, super easy. And you'll get the money that day, like within half a day at least. She Googles installment loans. But this doesn't sound like just a regular old bank loan, obviously, something you'd end up paying back in installments. No, it, it's a little bit confusing. That's why some people call these rapid loans. They're offered by online subprime lenders. And like she said, if you Google quick loan, no credit check, you'll get tons of hits from companies with names like Simply Cash or Cash for You. Some of them lend smaller amounts like, you know, $1,000. Others advertise loans as high as fifteen, twenty thousand dollars Thousands of dollars. No credit check. And they make it real easy to get a loan. You could be at home, sitting on your couch in the evening, apply online and get approved in minutes. Jolene has taken out a few of these loans over the last couple of years, and she just got accepted for another one. I was applying for $500, I think, and I got approved on my CCB and no credit check. And I'm in the middle of, like, I just failed my consumer proposal and I'm now going to be filing bankruptcy and I still got approved. She's borrowing against her Canada Child Benefit, she's filing for bankruptcy, and they're still okay just lending her money. Mm-hmm. This really kind of has like a, like a, a payday lender vibe. Well, a lot of these online lenders, they are also in the payday loan business. So they're, they're related. Scott Terrio is an insolvency guy in Toronto. He works with Hoyes Mikolos. He first started seeing these rapid loans in his office a few years ago. Right around the same time, he says that governments were starting to crack down on payday loans. They basically said, you know, they put in a bunch of rules in place so you couldn't get multiple um multiple loans from the same location, and I'm talking about payday loans here. So what they did is they they effectively hamstrung the payday lenders, and so the payday lenders, a lot of them said, okay, you know what, we'll give out installment loans. How's that sound? So governments tightened the rules on payday loans, and then some of these payday lenders, they shifted to doing more installment loans? Yeah, they expanded their offerings, let's say. Okay, well, how are these offerings different? In a few ways. I mean, you usually only have a few weeks to make good on a payday loan, and you pay a fee to take one out. Installment loans operate more like a regular car loan. They can be paid back over years, but the annual percentage rate can be as high as 47%. That is a lot. 
Yeah, that's going to add up, right? You, if you borrowed $5,000 and say they give you a 40% annual interest rate, if it takes you five years to pay it back, you'll end up owing more than $11,000. And you might think like, why would anyone do that? It's easy for us to instantly say, oh, that's financial illiteracy to the ninth degree, you know, but people who are getting these are in a lot of trouble, okay? And they haven't slept for six months. They can't pay their rent, okay? Try that for a while, right? And maybe they have medical issues and everything else that life throws at you on top of all this, right? So they're not thinking well. Um, and frankly, the, the sales pitch and the marketing is set up for that. So what is the sales pitch? It's kind of fun and approachable. They don't look like bank banks, you know? Some of these sites have got spin-to-win wheels on them and win an iPhone contests. They have wheels? Yeah. I mean, the whole thing is designed to, to really be very approachable. Well, is it approachable? I mean, how popular are these loans? Well, Scott sees them every day in his office now. The number of clients on the verge of bankruptcy that he sees who have these installment loans has more than doubled in the last 10 years. And he says his clients, they may have other kinds of debt on the books like credit card debt or car loans. But he says if they've got ten dollars or $12,000 in installment loans. It's the last straw. Like if they always say – I went and got that and that was it. Like I was going along okay for five years and I wasn't getting anywhere, but I was making my minimums and now I'm toast. If you're getting one of these, you got to be up against it. Yeah, nobody takes out a high interest loan if they don't have to, but they do solve a problem in the short term. And there are a lot of Canadians out there who've got bad credit. They can't access traditional bank loans. They don't have overdraft protection. The, the high interest lenders say, we're here to fill that gap, and they're taking risks that banks don't. Payday lenders say up to a quarter of their customers default on their loans. Yeah, no doubt, when interest is like 40% plus. Uh, Jen, where's the legal line here? Like, is there a point where this kind of interest becomes like usury or loan sharking or, or criminal? They're pretty close to that line. Legally in Canada, the criminal rate of interest is 60%. That's the effective annual rate, which is roughly equivalent to a 47% annual percentage rate. The federal government is working on legislation to lower that from 47% APR to 35%. As you can imagine, though, high interest lenders aren't happy about that. What about borrowers? Do they have other options? Some credit unions do offer emergency loans to their members. Jonathan Fowley is with Van City Credit Union in BC, and he says they have something called the Fair and Fast Loan. There's no application fee and, and no credit check. And uh, importantly, the loan is, is, is available within about 10 minutes if you're an existing member of, of Van City. You can do it online. Emergencies happen at three in the morning. Uh, and so that's when you need the money. And they charge about 19% interest. So these kinds of fast loans are possible. I mean, there's a model out there. Yeah, but Van City says they see more delinquencies on these loans. If you look at Jolene and the situation she's in, she has about $10,000 worth of installment loans, and a lot of them are now with collection agencies. She just couldn't keep up with them. So when she looks at where she's at right now, she thinks about her financial situation. This is how she describes it. If you think about the Titanic and the iceberg, rapid loans would be the tip of the iceberg that you see above the ocean. 
the rest of it is the effect it has on you how it like goes huge underwater because you never know how big the iceberg is and it literally caused it to sink that's basically you're the sinking ship you never want to be the titanic no you don't she's in a tough spot she's probably going to have to declare bankruptcy huh and if you step back i mean she's not the only person in this situation are there things that can be done to to keep more people out of this kind of spot Poverty groups, poverty advocates, they say lowering the maximum interest on these loans is a good thing to do. But Scott Terrio isn't sure it's going to be enough. He says we're just too addicted to credit in this country. He would prefer if it was harder to borrow money. And if you step back and you look at the big picture. Everybody's cost of living are way up and their, and their wages are not. People have an income problem less than they have a, a debt problem because a lot of this place wouldn't be in place if you know people were paid properly for what they do and you could afford to live a decent life like everybody did 20 30 years ago right well yeah but more people getting paid more these are big changes and he's talking about huge structural shifts here this is not something that is going to be fixed by tweaking a couple lending rules. We're waving a magic wand. It's not, it's not going to happen overnight. And in the meantime, a lot of people are finding it hard to pay the bills right now. So they are borrowing money from wherever they can. Thanks, Jen. You're welcome. Coming up on next week's show, do you save up rewards points for something good? A big grocery shop? It's sweet when your bill comes up zero. What's not sweet? Hackers stealing your points. They had people at two different superstores in Ontario, and then they rang through their merchandise, and then they charged $500 to the account, like redeemed $500 worth of points. And then the next one was $400 worth of points. And then the final one was $70 worth of points. And then that that had completely maxed it out. There was nothing left for them to redeem. It was only 25 minutes from the moment I was hacked to the moment they had all the points and were gone. Yeah, hackers steal loyalty points. And it's happening more often. So how do you protect yourself? Stupid hackers. That's next week. Cost of Living is based in Calgary. The show is produced by Daniel Nerman, Ellis Cho, and Jennifer Keene, with help from Caroline Ferris. Our executive producer is Tracy Johnson. I'm Paul Habertrude. Thanks for listening. For more CBC Podcasts, go to cbc.ca slash podcasts.